Good news, the war in Ukraine is over, folks. Zelensky has not repelled the Russians. Putin has not stopped the invasion. Nothing like that has happened. But Nancy Pelosi has figured out how to end the war. She does not have a peace plan to broker, and she has not managed to get those Polish fighter jets to the Ukrainians or, or, or anything like that. But, but she does have a poem written by Bono. What you saw yesterday was history. Later at the lunch, just maybe you might want to watch, I'm going to be reading a, a poem written by Bono about Ukraine, which you might find interesting. What's that, President Zelensky? You, you want a global military effort to save your country? Yeah, the best I'm going to be able to do is a poem from Bono. And maybe you want to watch. I don't, maybe, I just tune in. I don't know. I think I read it pretty well. Um, they say as we get older, we become more ourselves. Apparently, this is the case with Nancy Pelosi. This is like Pelosi concentrate. This is the most caricaturish. Pelosi experience I could possibly imagine. Here's my answer to this global, potentially nuclear conflict. I'm going to read a poem by Bono. And the poem did not disappoint. I want to, I got this message this morning from Bono. And most of us, we're always, whether we're in Ireland or here, whatever it is, Bono has been a very Irish part of our lives. And he said this. He said, Oh, St. Patrick, he drove out the snakes with his prayers, but that's that's not all it takes. For the smoke symbolizes an evil that arises and hides in your heart as it breaks. And the evil from, risen from friends, from the darkness that lives in some men, but in sorrow and fear, that's when saints can appear to drive out those old snakes once again. And they struggle for us to be free from the psycho in this human family. Ireland's sorrow and pain is now the Ukraine, and St. Patrick's name is now Zelensky. (laughs) Oh, okay, on with our lunch. That does it, right? The war is over. Take that, Putin. Now, of course, Ireland is not Ukraine. They're very different countries. And Zelensky is not a fifth century Roman Christian missionary or a saint of any kind that would require him to have died. And he isn't any of those things anyway. And Bono's babbling and Nancy Pelosi's babbling didn't do anything other than make Democrats feel better about their disastrous policies that triggered this war in the first place. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. There once was a man named Joe Biden who, when he first started presiding, gave in to Vlad's order for Nord Stream. The border of Ukraine is quickly subsiding. Joe Biden's strategic perversion incentivized Putin's excursion. He invited invasion of a sovereign nation but only a minor incursion. Folks, I could be here all day and I promise you every one of my poems will be better than Bono's and will, more importantly, be more accurate than Bono's. This was such, it it was a revolting display to see the Democrats pretending that they're in any way helping. It's like that little meme of on the Simpsons. I'm helping. I'm I'm helping by reading a poem by Bono. Uh, No, you're not. You're not doing, you caused the freaking war in the first place because your political party lifted the sanctions off Putin's Nord Stream 2 pipeline. This is what Vladimir Zelensky, the man you're calling a saint now, he actually said, this is why the war started. And now you're making yourself feel better by reading some babbling nonsense. My favorite comment yesterday is from the drummer's workshop at Norm's Music. To celebrate Jesse Smollett's luck on this St. Patrick's Day, I declare him to be a leprechaunvict. <laughs> That's true. You know, leprechauns are certainly more realistic than the two men that Jesse Smollett hired to play white supremacists to attack him. This is MAGA country. Get out of here, Empire Josie. We're coming to get you on behalf of Trump. It's uh, it's a very sick story. It's a very dirty story. When you want to clean up not just your society 
but your home, I would strongly recommend you check out Naturally It's Clean. Right now, go to naturallyitsclean.com slash Michael. When you are picking a cleaning product, I know I've had this thought before. I always think it's a big debate between, do you want something that's super effective that's going to clean up the mess, or do you want something that's not going to kill your kids or pets? Right? Do you get the thing that's it's full of all the harsh chemicals, but it's going to be it's going to work really well, or do you get the thing that's made out of like bubble gums and unicorn tears, but it's not going to actually clean? You don't need to make that decision anymore. You can get the best of both worlds with Natural Aids Clean, a hospital grade cleaning product that will not leave harmful chemicals on all of your surfaces. Natural Aids Clean is a home cleaning company dedicated to providing the most effective cleaning products for your home while reducing the use of harmful chemicals. What's the secret? The powerful plant-based enzymes, nature's solution to cleaning. When I'm talking powerful, I mean I mean real, real hospital-level enzyme cleaning power. Naturally, it's clean has safer chemistry that just works. Right now, you get 15% off when you head on over to naturallyitsclean.com. Go get the Daily Wire Essentials Kit stocked with four great products. It's naturallyitsclean.com slash Michael. Use promo code Michael. Uh, that is uh, incredible cleaning products, the best you're ever going to use, 15% off. Go to naturallyitsclean.com slash Michael, promo code Michael. Go check out Naturally It's Clean today. I, I can't get over the poem because it's not, it's not just Pelosi. It's not just Bono. It's not just the House Democrats. It's not even just Joe Biden. It's the whole liberal establishment. They, they don't know anything. They are extremely emotional and, and confident in the things that they don't know anything about. They're extremely vindictive if you raise any questions about whatever crusade they've taken on that day that they're just going to change tomorrow. I love it. If you go to your liberal friends' Facebook profiles, try this experiment. I did it yesterday. Go to a random liberal friend's Facebook profile, and I just go back through the pictures. And you'll notice very often it's the same profile picture and it'll just be different images superimposed on top. Today, now today it's it's Ukraine, which is probably the worthiest cause they've had ever in the last 20 years. But then you go before Ukraine, what is it? It's the French flag superimposed over the same picture. Why? Why? Because I thought, what was the cause? Oh, right. Because of the Charlie Hebdo shooting. Okay. Then it's the French flag. Then before that, or maybe after, I kind of forget which order. Then it's the gay flag. Why was it the gay flag? What? Oh, because of the Orlando. It was the Orlando shooting. Remember when the Muslim guy shot up the gay nightclub? Okay, before and before that, it was what? And then you go back, and it's Coney 2012. You remember Coney 2012? That was one of the first social media meme slacktivism campaigns where you you change your profile picture and you feel like you're doing something. Did we ever get Coney? By the way, I don't. I don't think we ever got Coney. I don't think anything ever happened. No one knew who Coney was. No one knows anything about any of these crusades. They just get really ginned up. You, you have a kind of mass hysteria. You, f- you feel all of this emotion, but you, you don't know anything about what's causing it other than just propaganda from the mainstream media. And you don't, even more importantly, you don't do anything to, to help or change anything. It's all personal. The clearest example of this I've seen in years, actually, was a post from the American Federation of Teachers. This is the National Teachers Union. And it was these two union bosses holding up a sign, yellow and, and blue, so in the flag of Ukraine, and it said, we stand with Ukraine, printed on it. So this was designed somewhere, and they printed out a bunch of these signs. And the, the most ridiculous part of the image is that the flag is upside down. They di- this, the flag is upside down, the flag printed by the teachers union. (laughs) Is there any greater summation of the American educational system today than two union thugs holding up a foreign flag upside down as though they are the great moral leaders? They have no idea what they're doing. They can't teach their students anything. They They don't know what they are talking about. They're gung-ho to jump on whatever the crusade is of the day. And they're confidently smiling, tweeting this out. They couldn't even Google it. Hey, what's the Ukraine flag look like? 
holding it upside down. It was very funny then too. Later you saw a picture of a bunch of other of these teacher union people holding up the flags, but then some of the, it was a mixture. Some were the yellow on top of the blue, some were the blue on top of the yellow. And then when you looked closely at the ones that, that were accurate with the blue on top of the yellow, you noticed they photoshopped it. Because they were all printed wrong. Because these teacher union people don't know a damn thing about anything. And so, and then they did a crappy job photoshopping it. Since then, they have, they have taken down the posts. But that's it. That's our American educational system. And what you see in classrooms, what you see on campuses is a crystal ball. So what you see there is what your country is going to look like 20 years from now. This degradation of our education system has been going on for decades already. And so now we're seeing the fruits of that in our government, which is why our government seems completely feckless in the light of this geopolitical crisis and pretty much all the other ones too. Because there's really no difference between the completely ignorant educators that are teaching these generations of students, and now the completely ignorant political leaders who were taught by them. It's, it's as though these people are not really teachers. Well, actually, the teacher union thugs are not teachers. They're union bosses, right? They, they just play teachers on TV. And their main job is to keep schools closed. That's what they've been doing for the past two years. Even after the science showed that COVID wasn't a big deal for kids, so pretty much ever, that the risk to kids was lower than the risk to basically anybody else from COVID. Even after that, the, the union thug said, no, you're not going back to school. Now we're going to keep it closed because they don't advocate for students. They don't advocate for education. They advocate to get more vacation time for their union members. They're not teachers. They just play them on TV. That's how I feel about our statesmen. Our st- when you think of great statesmen throughout history, Winston Churchill, you say, uh, Metternich, I don't know. You think of all these statesmen throughout history. Then you get to Joe Biden. Joe Biden doesn't know anything. Kamala Harris knows even less than Joe Biden does. At least Joe Biden's old, so he came, he was never the brightest bulb in the pack. He's always had wind blowing through his ears. But he came of political age at a time when you did kind of have to know a little bit about government and politics if you wanted to be in the government. Kamala Harris did not. We are, we are now living in virtual reality government, right? We are now living in a time where you don't really need to know much of anything to be in the government. It's, it's as though they're not statesmen. They just play statesmen on TV. And so it is no surprise, probably the, the greatest example of this is Stacey Abrams, the pretend governor of Georgia. Stacey Abrams ran for governor of Georgia. She lost to Brian Kemp. And then she just didn't concede. She just pretended she was governor of Georgia. And even though she couldn't live in the governor's mansion, she would go around and started nonprofits to raise money, get her face out there. She goes on TV as though she's an elected politician. She's not. She holds no office. And if you were tuning into Star Trek recently, you would turn on and find out that Stacey Abrams is not just a failed gubernatorial candidate in Georgia. She's actually president of the universe. That's a very terrifying, in that kind of world, you probably can't rely on public services. You're going to have to do for yourself, which is why you got to go check out rockauto.com. Right now, go to rockauto.com and write Knowles in their how did you hear about us box. Whatever part you need for your car or truck, you've got two options. You can go to the brick and mortar auto parts store and you can take 20 minutes to drive there. And then you go in, you wait in line for five minutes. Then the guy peppers you with questions for two minutes and he goes in the back, it takes three, four minutes and he comes back. He doesn't have it. Then he goes, he orders online and then you got to wait because they, they never have the product stuck. Oh, okay. That's one world, right? And you go back a couple weeks later, you get, okay. Or, or you go to rockauto.com. You can do it from your phone, from your computer. The website is so easy to navigate. Even I can do it. No gimmicks. No, you have to log in at this time with this thing and then you get the 10% off. No, it's just always reliably low prices. Same prices for pros as do-it-yourselfers. Comes right to your door. Very reliable family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. What are you going to pick? It's obvious to me. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Then write Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Go check out Rock Auto today. Stacey Abrams, she lost the governorship of Georgia. She gained the presidency, the chancellorship of the entire universe, according to an episode of Star Trek. Today, we greet the president of United Earth. 
Madam President. Madam President. Welcome. I am so pleased that you've come. We are eager to begin diplomatic discussions. Nothing to discuss. United Earth is ready right now to rejoin the Federation. And nothing could make me happier than to say those words. Thank you. Thank you all. Okay, I've got to fact check myself. I don't watch Star Trek and I certainly don't watch Stacey Abrams. So she's the president of Earth. Not, not, they, they, were, they would never be so ambitious as to say she's president of the universe. Not yet. She's the president of Earth and she's united the whole Earth. And now they're going to join, I guess, the Galactic Federation with Darth Vader. And I don't know. I don't watch any of these shows. The first thing I noticed about this clip from Stacey Abrams, if you're only listening, you, w- you wouldn't have noticed this right now. They only ever have the camera on Stacey Abrams for about two to three seconds at a time. Presumably, this is because her performance was terrible. And so they had to just construct her performance. So even as she's speaking, it'll cut to a clip of someone else. It'll cut to a clip behind her because she's, she's not an actress. She's a politician and a failed politician at that. But the libs are so desperate to get her into office that they are going to use everything at their disposal. Not just the legacy media, the news media, to lie about her and lie about that election and give her the biggest boost she can get in her race to try to get the governorship again. But they're going to use Hollywood. They're going to use everything available to them to meme her into office. Let me ask you something. Why should Stacey Abrams be the governor of Georgia? Even if you're, I I doubt there are very many Stacey Abrams supporters listening to this show. Maybe there are some though. We have liberal listeners. We have Democrat listeners. What, what is it about Stacey Abrams that makes her qualified to be the governor of Georgia? What has she done? What, what does she do that means she should be the governor of Georgia? If Stacey Abrams's supporters are being honest with themselves, they will admit nothing, nothing, no accomplishment, no particular quality about her means she should be governor other than her sex and her race. That is why, that's why people like her or that's why people pretend to like her because she just plays identity politics. This is the only reason Kamala Harris is the vice president. Don't take my word for it. That's what Joe Biden said. He said, I'm only going to pick a black woman. Meaning I think it's electorally beneficial to me to purely play identity politics, pick a black woman. So I'm just going to pick a black woman. And he only had three options available to him. Really? It was, uh, Carol, Karen Bass, who's that communist congresswoman, like an actual literal communist congresswoman. She wasn't going to work. Kamala Harris, who was extremely unlikable, first out in the Democrat primary. She didn't seem like she could work. Or Susan Rice, who was Obama's fall guy for Benghazi. So of three bad options, he picked Kamala Harris. She's the least popular vice president in recent history. She's less popular than Dick Cheney was after he shot a man in the face, after the Iraq war, after everything that made him unpopular. She's very unpopular. So why did he pick her? He said he only picked her because of the color of her skin and her sex. Why is Ketanji Jackson the Supreme Court nominee? The only reason is because of the color of her skin and her sex. Don't take my word for it. That's what Joe Biden said. Why is Stacey Abrams a thing? only because of the color of her skin and her sex. That's, that's what the supporters are talking about. Now, I'm not downplaying her political skills. She's done a pretty good job of remaining in the news, even after she just keeps losing. Even She should have gone away after that election. She has, she's, so she's, she's a clever and shrewd politician in that way. But the only reason that people are supporting her is because of these superficial, virtual things. Oh, she should be the governor of Georgia because she's the president of the earth. That's why they're going to try to meme her into office. And, and this is a big problem when you're living in a virtual world, then when real life problems come at you, you're not going to be prepared for them. When we're living in a world of of virtual problems, transgenderism, intersect white supremacy, uh, systemic racism problems that are completely fictional that only exist in people's imaginations. Then when Vladimir Putin rolls tanks into Ukraine, people have no idea what the hell to do because that, that, that seems so old timey. Well, hold on. People still roll tanks into foreign countries. Hold on. There are still invasions. There's still war. 
I thought we were past all that. I thought that our biggest problem now was making sure that hulking dudes can swim in the Ivy League Women's Swim Championship. Wait, you're telling me we still have to deal with real problems like territory and geography and weapons and buffer states and strategic interests and alliances? Huh, I don't know anything about that. But let me read you a poem by Bono. I'm really good at that. And that's all they can do. And that's why we seem impotent and feckless on the world stage. The, the propaganda is getting the better of us. I'm not opposed to, to polities, to states using propaganda, especially in times of war, but just in general, that's what all states have done throughout history. But what's so crazy in this world that we're in now, where we're constantly consuming information, where we're scrolling all day long, is that we are the victims of our own propaganda. It's not like in the Cold War when the U.S. would beam propaganda into the Soviet Union and other states. We're beaming propaganda to ourselves. And so then we believe our own propaganda. We're violating the most important rule my mother ever taught me. I was a, I was a kid. I was getting a head that was a little too big because, I don't know, I was doing well in school or something like that. And she said, hey, Michael, don't believe your own press releases. Right? Don't believe your own propaganda. That's what we've fallen into. And it has really, really damaged us. Here's a great example of propaganda. This is my favorite headline in recent weeks. It's from Axios, came out on March 12th. The rise of white nationalist Hispanics. And they're talking about that guy, Nick Fuentes, is the, he's the picture. But they're talking about a lot of other people. Uh, Enrique Tarrio, who is the head of the Proud Boys, right? That was, Enrique, uh, the Proud Boys is a white supremacist organization. Well, how come the head of it is a black Cuban guy? That's kind of weird, isn't it? And a few other people, too. The, the white nationalist Hispanic. First thing I noticed about this article, I thought we weren't supposed to use the word Hispanic anymore. I thought Hispanic was an old word. It's wrong. It's imprecise just refers to the Spanish language, but not to race or ethnicity. I, th I thought we're supposed to say Latinx. Remember Latinx? They're trying to make Latinx happen. At least we should say Latino, right? So why Hispanic? It's describing the same people as Latinx, but they say, why? oh, because Latinx is for the good ones and Hispanic is for the bad ones. Latinx, which is a word used by, what, 2% of Mexicans, Guatemalans, you know, all the people who count as Hispanic or Latino or whatever. It's used by 2% of those people. But Latinx is for the good woke ones. Hispanic, that's for the old conservative right-wing bad ones. Okay, so they're white nationalist Hispanics. What does that mean? It means they're very confused, I guess. The implication is that there are these people who are not white, but they want whites to rule the world. And gosh, aren't they so stupid? Well, the, I guess the implication is that the, the, the Hispanics, they'll become part of the whites. They'll, they'll, be, they'll meld into the same thing. And that's really bad. Well, hold on. Why is that really bad? Isn't that, isn't that what we're all kind of after? Don't we want race not to matter that much? And we all, with something a little deeper animates us than just race. Isn't that a good thing? If, if the Hispanics and the whites, which were separate groups and there were all these power dynamics and oppression and intersectionality, if they can become the same thing, isn't that good? Isn't that what you want? Works for me. Oh no. Well, it's bad for some reason. Okay. Then there's a second question that comes from this, which is Axios and the left is looking at this issue of the white nationalist. Why is a black Cuban guy running the Proud Boys? I was told it was a white supremacist group. They could never come to the conclusion that it's actually not a white supremacist group, which is the real conclusion. But forget that for a second. Axios is asking, why would a Hispanic guy behave in the way that I'm calling white supremacist or white nationalist or whatever the term is? The better question is, why do the white nationalists accept these Hispanic guys? In the case of Enrique Otario, a black Hispanic guy. Why do the white supremacists accept these guys as their leaders? The obvious answer is because they're not white supremacists, because they're not anti-Hispanic, because they're not anti-black, because there's something else going on. Okay, now I'm, I don't know anything about Enrique Tarrio. I don't really know anything about Nick Fuentes. I met him one time and he was a jerk to me. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying anything about these groups. I'm talking about the issue itself. I'm talking about the headline. Maybe race 
is not playing the role in, forget the groups, in our whole politics that the left says that it is playing. Just maybe, I don't know, I'm throwing that up. Maybe the, maybe the left has believed its own propaganda a little too long and now they're having trouble grappling with reality. The, the propaganda issue is not just what is said, but also what we are not allowed to say. We pride ourselves. We've got a, a free, open country, don't we? We've got this free, wonderful, open system. Well, uh, if, if we do have this free, open press, uh, how come they keep censoring stuff? You remember, you remember during the 2020 election, you had the Hunter Biden laptop story. The New York Post broke this story. There was this Hunter Biden laptop that was discovered. It had a ton of compromising material, not just a bunch of stuff with drugs and hookers and potential personal lurid crimes like that, but a bunch of stuff about Hunter Biden's dealings in China, a bunch of stuff about Hunter Biden's shady dealings in Ukraine, a bunch of stuff that impl- implicated Joe Biden in Hunter's shady business dealings in China and Ukraine. And when you tried to post that article on social media, you weren't allowed to. Twitter, Facebook, Google, all these places shut it down. When you tried to privately message your friends with this article, you weren't allowed to. Why? Because the official story coming out of our press was, this is dangerous, false, hacked, Russian disinformation. Director, a bunch of questions from this. Let me just start with this. How much does the source matter, right? So you hear the story of this laptop. We don't know a lot. We do know that the, the way that this information is getting out is through Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani. How much uh, do the, the, does the source matter here? Well, the source matters a lot, and, uh, and the timing matters a lot, I think. And to me, this is uh, just classic uh, textbook uh, Soviet-Russian uh, tradecraft at work. Uh, the Russians have analyzed the target. They understand that the president and his enablers uh, crave uh, dirt on Vice President Biden, whether it's real or contrived, that doesn't matter to them. And so all of a sudden, two, two and a half weeks before the election, uh, this laptop appears somehow, uh, without, and uh, emails on it without any metadata. Uh, it just, it's all very curious. Do you think stuff like that could just have been planted in there and be completely fake? I do. I think the, uh, the emails could be, uh, could be contrived. That's totally completely fake. That's not just some random talking head on CNN who is giving that opinion. Well, the, the anchor was, she is just a random leftist propagandist on CNN, but the guy who was giving his opinion was the former director of national intelligence for Barack Obama, James Clapper. This is a guy with a lot of credibility, or at least he's got credible credentials. He personally doesn't have very much credibility at all, especially because he was totally wrong. Oh, yes, this Hunter Biden laptop, classic Russian tradecraft, disinformation. Oh, yeah, not even just all the videos and pictures we see with Hunter Biden, obviously in it, doing lots of creepy stuff with drugs and sex and young girls. No, no, not just that. Uh, All the emails are fake, probably. It's all fake. It's all totally fake news, and uh, so it's really dangerous, and we've got to suppress that information. Except it was all true. The New York Times just admitted. The New York Times admitted in a a headline, Hunter Biden paid tax bill, but broad federal investigation continues. That's not the real story here. The real story is the laptop, which the New York Times in this article admits was legit. So you've got... Now... The, the way that this was being presented yesterday is New York Times confirms that the Hunter Biden laptop was real. The New York Times didn't confirm it. We already knew the Hunter Biden laptop was real. That was already confirmed. The New York Times did not do any investigative journalism to show that the, the laptop was real. The New York Times just admitted it. And it's good. That's a, that's a moral victory for us, isn't it? That, that the New York Times, admi- except they admitted it after it didn't matter. Oh, whoopsie daisy, we got it wrong and s- censored all of you and suppressed your information and rigged the election. Oops, guess we got it wrong. Okay, moving on to the next one. It's propaganda. That's how propaganda works. 
Okay, and it's not just our enemies overseas that use this kind of propaganda and censorship. We do it too. We do it to our own citizens. Now, Russia, speaking of Russia, collusion, the Bidens, the Clintons, Russia has just sanctioned Joe Biden, senior members of his staff and his cabinet. That we would expect, right? The United States sanctions Russia and top Russian leaders, and now Russia is sanctioning the United States. But there were a couple people that Russia sanctioned who are not in the government right now. Russia sanctioned Hunter Biden and Hillary Clinton. Why that? Well, even Hillary was former Secretary of State a long time ago. Why would they sanction her? Well, I don't know. She's involved in politics. She at least was Secretary of State. Why Hunter Biden? The re- this, this too is a sort of form of propaganda. The reason that Russia is sanctioning them and nobody is talking about it, it's to call attention to the fact that they both have had very shady dealings in Ukraine. The Clinton Foundation's top donors by nationality were Ukraine. I'm not saying the Ukrainian government. I'm saying top Ukraine. Ukraine is a corrupt country, just like Russia is a corrupt country, just like a lot of, a lot of Eastern Bloc places are corrupt. So top, very wealthy Ukrainians were the top donors to the Clinton Global Initiative. They had weird business dealings there. Hunter Biden had a no-show job on the board of a Ukrainian energy company. Why? Because of his expertise in Ukrainian energy? No, he doesn't have expertise in Ukraine or energy. It's because they were trying to curry favor with Joe Biden while his dad was point person on Ukraine issues for Obama. And so Russia is sanctioning them to call attention to that fact. It's a very clever propaganda. Speaking of Hunter, there was a, a little tweet about sex work that I really, I do really want to get to. I've been meaning to get to it all week. It was this girl, just this random girl, though it kind of went viral. I think Libs of TikTok posted it, said, I'm so effing discouraged. This month from subs, I made pretty much what most people would make in two days at a normal job. Like what even is the point of this anymore? I'm obviously not good enough, not pretty enough, not skinny enough. I literally am so close to giving up. Like this is my third year doing sex work and I feel like I'm going insane. All I think about is how everyone else is having so much success and I can't even pay one bill with the amount I make in a month. F this. Sad story for her, but shows you the, the problem here. Just get a job. Just get a real job. Get a real job. Well, how dare you? You're limiting me and what I can... Uh, you're right. In a way, I'm, li- I'm limiting you from selling your body like flesh and treating yourself like you're an object. I am limiting you in doing that. Well, but sex workers could make more money. No, they can't. They obviously can't. Very few of them can. And then most of them get screwed. This is how most morally compromised deals work. You'll sometimes hear... Uh, people say who are in the sex industry, they'll say, well, I can just make so much more money as a stripper than I can working as a barista. Yeah, maybe you can. Right. That's how temptation works. (laughs) That's, that's how these deals with the devil work is, yeah, you think you can gain a lot and it's not worth it. It's not worth selling your soul and your dignity and your integrity and your reputation. And the, the most ironic part is usually almost in the long run, never, but even in the short run, usually it doesn't really work out. One last thing I want to get to before we get to the mailbag is this issue of of uh, abortion drugs. Uh, AOC and a bunch of House Dems are, tr- are writing to the Secretary of Health and Human Services to make it easier to get abortion drugs. This is a really, really bad idea, okay? Some conservatives, I doubt very many, but some maybe some more libertarian type conservative, socially liberal, fiscally conservative, they'll say, this is great, deregulation, just deregulate everything, deregulate birth control, deregulate abortion drugs. No, do not. Some regulation is good. Regulation exists for a reason. No one has the right to an abortion, just like no one has a right to a baby. Okay. This is a real problem. The, the commodification of sex, like that sex work and the commodification of babies is a really bad problem, really bad problem in America. Okay. You do not have a right to an abortion. You do not have a right to a baby. A baby is a gift, is not a scourge, it's not a plague, a disease. A baby is a gift from God. A baby has certain rights that we have to respect. A baby has the right to his natural father and mother, okay? This is why we protect things like marriage. This is why we don't redefine marriage. This is why we don't redefine the family. This is why we don't make technology the center of human procreation. This is why we have long had bioethical moral strictures uh, against these sorts of things, okay? This is a really bad problem, not only because of the children. Won't somebody please think of the children? Not only, though that's a real concern, but not only because of that, not only because of what it does to the individuals who are involved in it, but because of what it does to the way we view humanity in the world, okay? We are not just objects 
to be treated like meat, to be used for each other's pleasure and to fulfill our desires. We are human beings made in the image of God. We have responsibilities to one another, okay? And we have to respect that. We need to realize that when we're talking to people, we're dealing with eternal beings, okay? And, and that has to be respected. Otherwise, we're all just meat puppets trying to pursue our own, own desires until we turn into worm food and take a dirt nap. The third and final episode of the Fauci Unmasked docuseries, I Am Science, dropped this morning. In it, I take off the final layer of Fauci's mask, revealing his unnatural rise to the top. It is uh, a tremendous episode, if I do say so myself. I really appreciate everyone who has already watched the series. I've gotten lots and lots of great feedback from all of you. This is at, only at dailywire.com. So head on over to dailywire.com. Check out this sneak preview. He's the highest paid employee in our federal government. And beginning in the spring of 2020, Dr. Fauci began to set national policy that affected the way that 330 million Americans lived their lives. For goodness sakes, I'm telling you, wear a mask, keep social distancing. There's nothing political about that. But who is Anthony Fauci? People who have conspiracy theories, those are people that don't particularly care for me. In this short series, we will do what the establishment media have refused to do. We will give you an unvarnished look at the career of the most powerful politician in America, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Don't you think it's time that you step down and let someone else who has a more effective message? <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> the three-part series is streaming now. It is available exclusively at dailywire.com. If you're not a member, head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join today. Fauci Unmasked. Really appreciate you for watching that. Also, we're releasing a special episode of Morning Wire this Sunday featuring our own investigative reporter, Cassie Dillon. She recently returned from the conflict in Ukraine. She is joining John in Georgia to discuss the humanitarian effort on the ground there, the people she met who are risking their lives to make a difference. Make sure to check the episode out Sunday. Subscribe and start listening now to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. Also, Daily Wire's first book, 12 Seconds in the Dark by Sergeant Mattingly, is now available. It's a true story of what happened the night of the Breonna Taylor shooting. It's available. Order your copy today because it is going to sell out. We will be right back with the mailbag. Welcome back to my favorite time of the week when I get to hear from you in the mailbag. First question up is from Kyle. Hello, DW Wiseman Knowles. I've really enjoyed all the movies and series coming out of the Daily Wire. I especially enjoy the Fauci Unmasked series. Thank you very much. My question is, why did you decide to do it? Which episode was your favorite? And any behind the scenes stories that you can tell? Hashtag fire Fauci. Uh, we decided to do it because Dr. Fauci, first of all, gaslit us all for two years and uh, and just changed the story left and right. And we were still supposed to call him not only an expert, but the science. He was actually the representative of science when in fact he was nothing more than a craven politician. But two, uh, because he was the most powerful politician in America. And he was so powerful that he actually hid a lot of his power. But he's the most powerful. He's the highest paid employee of the federal government. He's a guy who's been around for 40 years. He's served under what, seven presidential administrations. And Joe Biden, the current president, said that he would never fire him under no circumstances would he fire him. I thought, I, just from a political standpoint, I said, how the hell does someone get this much political power? It's shocking to me. So we, we did the series. It's a three-part series, a little, little extra part at the end too. My favorite episode is actually episode two because it's the, it's the episode with, I, I felt, stuff that really had not been covered anywhere. I mean, I think every episode has stuff that has not been covered anywhere, but uh, episode two, you just trace this guy's rise from the 80s to the present. He didn't, he didn't become the most powerful guy in America overnight, okay? And I think it's important to learn how he did it so that we can, one, stop him come November, and two, prevent others like him from rising up. Next question from Camille. Noel Stradamus, since you continue to prove you know best, I need some advice. I went out with a guy who was nice enough but felt no type of romantic feelings at all. He texted me after saying he'd like to hang out again, but I just don't see my feelings changing. How should I let him down easy? There is no great way to deliver rejection and ghosting him just feels 
cruel. So what's the best way to do it? Sincerely, uh, love don't come easy. Uh, what I, I would be pretty direct with him. I don't string him along, whatever you do. You're going to think that's easier and it's not. So I, you could say honestly that you're uh, right now, you're actually sort of involved with uh, someone else. And uh, you, you know that's sort of maybe going somewhere. Now, it's not, it wouldn't be a lie. First of all, maybe you are. I don't know how many people you're dating. But uh, two, uh, you're, we're all involved with other people. And our, our relationships with those people are going somewhere. So it wouldn't be a lie. But I, I would make it very clear. You don't have to say, hey, I think you're ugly. But if you, if you come out and just say, hey, I am romantically interested in someone else. It's not you, right? It's, it's a way to kind of, okay, well, maybe she was with this guy before me or maybe whatever. And, uh, but it, it's a clear line. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere here. He might think just because there's a goalie doesn't mean he can't score, but that's his problem. At least you, I think, were as direct as you could be. From Eli, hey, Michael, big fan of the show. Love both of your books, even the one with words. Thank you very much. I want to ask your opinion on tattoos and if it's immoral in the Catholic faith to get one. Personally, I've had issues with depression and have some scars I want to cover up, but I am hesitant. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, another swarthy Italian conservative. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, the biggest tattoo guy myself. Uh, you know, I was not a sailor. I have not been a boxer. I've never been a convict. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't think I can totally pull it off. You know, never was in the Marines. Uh, but uh, there's nothing immoral about tattoos, as far as I can tell. I don't think there's any. Uh, there is one uh, sort of commandment against it in the ceremonial law of the ancient Israelites, but I, I don't think this in any way extends to the moral law. That certainly is not traditionally the teaching of the church. So I think you're, you're okay to get a tattoo. My only hesitation in your case is you say you're getting a tattoo to cover up this tough thing in your past. I don't know that covering it up isn't necessarily the way out. You, maybe you try to get some kind of cosmetic surgery to lessen whatever scars you've got, but and look, maybe the tattoo is the way to go. I'm not sure. Perhaps it is. You've moved past whatever emotional problems you had had, psychological problems, and, and now you just really want to put it behind you. But don't, don't just try to paper over a problem. If that problem is still a real problem, don't focus on the tattoo. Don't focus on the cover-up. Focus on the problem and making sure that that is all the way gone. But if you're afraid that uh, if you get a tattoo, you won't go to heaven, I, I do not think that is the case. From Sarah. Hey, Michael, I have sort of an out of left field question, but I figured you're the master of giving advice on strange situations. What does that say about me? My friend is gay and he invited me to a gay bar birthday party. I love my friend and enjoy hanging out with him, but I'm Christian and feel it would not be appropriate to attend a gay wedding, but a gay bar party feels like a gray area. What do you think? The issue you're talking about here is the issue of scandal, right? Uh, presumably you're not going to be participating in some gay orgy at this party, but you're, you're worried about the idea that you are a Christian and you would feel dishonest and perhaps that you were leading other people astray. You would be giving into the sin of scandal if you showed up to this. It's a gray area because I don't even know exactly what you mean by gay bar. Here's a, I'll give you an example. I used to live in LA. There's a, an infamous bar in West Hollywood called The Abbey. This is probably the most well-known gay bar in all of LA. And LA is a pretty gay town. The Abbey is an extraordinarily sacrilegious gay bar because it's built to look like an Abbey. It's built to look like a, like a church, you know, with all this Christian symbolism, but inverted, I mean, quite literally perverted to serve not a higher religious purpose, but to serve this sexual political agenda. So if, if the birthday party were being held at the Abbey, I would say, no, don't go. <laughs> you know, that, forget the sex issue is almost beside the point here. It's because it would be so sacrilegious and so scandalous to go. If the party were at just a bar that has a reputation, right? You walk in, it's a bar like any other bar. It's got drinks behind the bar. It's got people chatting and dancing around. And it just happens to be known in town as a gay bar. Well, that I think is very different. All sorts of bad things happen at all sorts of bars. So if you're going to go to a bar anyway, I'm not sure that that is a total impediment to going to your friend's birthday. Now, here's where the real gray area comes in. If it's a bar that 
is not, you know, making a mockery of Christianity with, you know, crucifixes and things on the walls. If, if it's a bar that is not just a regular bar with a reputation, but let's say it's a bar that makes the rainbow flag part of its theme, right? That makes gay LGBT political advocacy part of its theme. Then that's a, a much grayer area. I actually like my uh, more right-wing gay friends really don't like the rainbow flag. I think rainbow flag is a horrible political symbol and I, I don't want to be associated with it at all. And there are people with same sex attractions, even who act out on those same sex attractions, who would agree with that statement and say, oh, I hate the rainbow. The rainbow stuff is insane. Don't let me in with those crazy people. Well, so if the bar has got that flag, I'm probably not going to go. Um, I would probably lean on that side. But I, I do acknowledge it's a gray area. Th- that would be my analysis of the situation. You're going to have to tailor your response to wherever you feel the, the bar itself and the crowd itself would fall on that spectrum. From Ellie. Hi, Michael. I'm 24 years old. I live in Maryland. Beside the four years I spent at Texas A&M, I've always lived within a 20-mile radius of my entire extended family. I'm dating slash in love with a guy that works for the government and relocates every five or so years. I see a future with him and an amazing life for myself and my future children, but I'm struggling with the idea of having my kids grow up away from the rest of their family. We're extremely close family that gathers all the time. My question for you is, how important do you think it is for family to be physically present in your kid's life? I am doing my kids a disservice if they grow up outside of the States away, uh, am I rather, uh, doing my kids a disservice if they grow up outside of the States away from grandparents and family. Being with him means my kids only seeing family a few times a year. Thank you and congrats on the upcoming tiny human. Hashtag came for Ben, stayed for Knowles. You asked me, and so I'm going to give you what I did. I live very far away from my extended family and from my father and from my cousins and from my stepbrother and from my grandparents and from, I, I live in Nashville. No one in my family lives in Tennessee other than my immediate family, my wife and my kids. Before that, I lived in LA. I moved all the way. I'm from New York. I lived in LA. I moved as far away from New York as you can within the continental United States. I wasn't near my family. My grandparents have the greatest marriage and family I've ever seen in my life. My grandpa was a Navy captain. They moved every few years all over the place, all throughout the United States, throughout the world, in Belgium, all over. And that meant they couldn't see extended family. It means that I cannot see extended family. My kids can't see extended family. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but that was my grandpa's career and I'm very focused on my career. And that's important. And we're prioritizing that. And we pay a price for that. I wish we could see family more frequently. One, it would save on childcare. <laughs> we got to pay for all these babysitters. You could just call up, you know, auntie so-and-so and then you get free childcare. But also I want to see my family. I want to spend time with them. And we can't. That's the price that I'm paying for my career. Maybe that's a price you're willing to pay. I think it's really good and conservative and healthy to live near your extended family. I think that's a really special thing. The price for that might be that you don't get to have that career you want. Or in your case, you might not get to have the husband you want. I wish I could give you a simple answer here. You know what, you know what I chose because of I'm professionally ambitious. All right. That was a, that's been a focus of mine since I was very little. Not everyone looks at their job the same way. The advice I have for you is not, this is better than this. My advice is, these are the costs. And there are, there are necessarily going to be costs. And there is no cost-free answer. So you've got to ask yourself, what price are you willing to pay for this guy and for his career? Or what price are you willing to pay to be near your extended family? I promise you one thing, though. You're not going to be getting out of this without paying some price. Last question from Ava. Hello, Nolstradamus. I had a conversation with my neighbor the other day about religion. He was born and raised Catholic. He says he believes in God and and loves God, that he also believes that the world would be better off without religion. Doesn't sound like he loves God very much. (laughs) He says that religion can be divisive and religious divisiveness is what started the Crusades. 
Okay. I agree with him that certain religions can be exclusionary as they should be in order to maintain traditions, etc. But I never thought that the core reason for war and unrest starting would be because of religious divide. Is my neighbor onto something? Could the world be more peaceful without religion? Thank you for your advice. Love the show. Uh, I think your friend is right in that the wars of the world begin because of religion. I think all politics comes down to religion. And I don't think it's possible to get rid of religion because we are rational beings and we think about things and we don't just think about what food we want to eat and we don't just think about tax rates. We think about why we're eating this. We think about why we lower the tax rates. We think about how we want to live. We think about what is good and what is bad and what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, how we know what truth is, how we know what goodness is. Those are all religious questions. You cannot escape it. Man is fundamentally a religious being. He mentioned the Crusades. The Crusades actually were a very good war. It's one of the great tragedies in history that the Christian West did not win the Crusades. It was a defensive war against Muslims who were invading everywhere they could invade. That's a topic for another day. Religion is not some awful thing to be discarded. People very often say, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm spiritual, which really means I'm interested in myself. I'm not that interested in God. Go back to your Deuteronomy. Go back to Exodus. God explains how he wants to be worshipped with the the tabernacle, the ark, the dress for the priests. Beyond all of that, the, the moral law, how he wants you to relate to him, okay? Religion helps us, religion far from making uh, our spiritual life superstitious or unnecessarily complicated, religion applies reason. Religion applies rigor. Religion allows us to think much more clearly about who God is, who we are, how we relate to him. It it actually reigns in the crazy, superstitious eccentricities of spirituality and and allows it to be grounded in in something real, something tangible. It allows it to be grounded in the truth. So no, you're not going to get rid of religion. You just need to work through religious questions and come to religious truth. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you Monday. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs> 